when I began to look at what was coming up two months ago, three months ago, I didn't realize this was Sanctity of Life Sunday. So I was actually planning to head in a different direction until this week. And, or actually, maybe a couple of weeks ago when I learned it was Sanctity of Life Sunday today. Now, Cain and Abel were, uh, were really the first pro-life story. Don't kill your brother. Um, that's that's pro-life. Um, but in this passage, in verses 1 through 7, we get what I would call the, the first fully formed pro-life ethic. Pro-life for the whole life uh, is what we would call that. Now, Israel is being told this story, uh, being told specifically about this covenant that God makes with Noah and his sons so that they will carry this pro-life ethic into the promised land with them because they are going to be fighting a whole bunch of people and there are going to be times when God says, wipe them out from the youngest to the oldest. Don't leave anything and don't leave any survivors. But those people that were being conquered were still made in the image of God. And this pro-life ethic, this, this idea that life for a life is, is given to, uh, is under the purview and under the prerogative of God in verse uh, Five. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see. Yeah, verse 5, where he says, I will require a penalty. God requires the penalty. So when God tells Israel to go into a particular nation, a particular city-state, and says, wipe out everybody there, it is not that they are not created in, in the image of God. It is that God is using Israel as his instrument of judgment. And he says that to Israel. Israel, though, cannot say, oh, look, God doesn't like these people, because that's not the case. But they can't say, God doesn't like these people, so we cannot like these people, and then we can do whatever we want to, to or with these people. That's not what he is saying. He is clearly stating that people, all people, have bear the image of God. And if he commands a life to be taken, that is under his purview, and it is his prerogative, but it is not ours. That's what he's saying here. So Israel going into the promised land carries his judgment with them, but it's not just their whim that allows them to decide who lives and who dies, who's worthy of life and who isn't worthy of life. More than just anti-abortion, which is necessary and good and, that, and is part of a pro-life ethic, it's not mentioned in this passage. Abortion specifically isn't. There are passages about what to do uh, if someone intentionally takes the life of an unborn child. We could, we could get into that, but we're not. This morning we are looking at this entire pro-life ethic from chapter... 9 verses 1 through 7. Our big idea for the service is very, for the sermon is very simple. All life is sacred. And I'm going to get into some areas I just never really thought I would. I'm going to talk about animal life being sacred. 
No, I'm not talking about vegetarianism or veganism or anything like that. But hold on. God places value on all life, and he places more value on human life. Read with me Genesis 9, 1 through 7. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. I see four big points, four areas of sanctity in this passage, in these few seven verses. The first one is the sanctity of children. Uh, We see that in verse one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, you can't be fruitful and multiply without children. That's the result of fruitful multiplication. This is a command directly to Noah and his three boys. The, the, The purpose is clear, the, the earth needs to be repopulated. Everybody's dead, so we have to have uh, fruitful multiplication to repopulate the earth. The interesting thing, though, is this command is never rescinded. It's never, God never tells people, all right, there's enough of you, stop. That's it's never, never an issue. Being fruitful and multiplying is still important. It is still a natural result, actually, of uh, husband and wife union. Children are sacred. Children are holy, not, no, not, not your kids. You know, not, not the way they act, not, not their insides. I'm not, you know, let's, let's be real clear here. Children are sinners, too. Most of y'all know that. You grandparents need to be reminded on occasion. Um, and usually it's your grandkids that remind you. Let's just be honest. But they are sacred. They are called blessings throughout Scripture. Children are a blessing. Now, it is an absolute fact that due to sin in our world, some people can't have children. Some, some women can't. Some men can't. Well, all men can't, but you know what I'm talking about. It's just a, the, the nature of nature as corrupted by sin. Some people adopt. Some people do both, right? Some folks, some parents, or some men and women, some couples, don't feel capable of raising children. They, they're scared of them. I get that. I'm scared of them, too. Um, they're scary little creatures sometimes. Sometimes they're great little creatures. This is not a command for every individual. 
Not a command that you and you, you too, you too must have children. Obviously, it's not very kind to give a command to someone who can't physically. What this is, though, is a command for humanity. It is a command for humanity to have children and to see the sacredness and the blessing of those children. Children are not to be had so they can work in sweatshops. Children are not to be trafficked. Children are not to be enslaved. You don't have children for those purposes. Children are blessings. Children are sacred. And humanity should treat them as such. Be thankful when you have them. Be thankful for the ones, if you couldn't have them, for the ones that are around. I mean, we got a whole thing in the bulletin about how we want children. Children are a blessing. And as it begins in your bulletin, God put the wiggle in children. Sometimes I wish he'd take a little of the wiggle out. Nonetheless, children are a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, the question, and I think we have to discuss it because it's just, it comes up. What about the idea of overpopulation? Well, there's just no biblical warrant for stop, uh, to stop having children because, ooh, it looks like there are too many. Now, there's, it, it's, it's interesting to, to look, at, look at history as the population has grown technology has has increased with it the the wisdom and knowledge and how to produce more crops and 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 get water from places i mean if if you're willing to invest the money you can get water from the ocean now with uh desalinization desalination desalinization one of those two words take the salt out of the water there are factories plants processes to do that it ain't cheap but it works Technology has increased with population. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, increase uh, uh, development of technology has resulted in the increase of the population. We, we live longer now than, than they ever used to. We, we are healthier now. Uh, uh, infant mortality is lower than it ever has been. It, 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 is, it is safer now to have children it's not completely safe it's not foolproof in any way but it is easier it is normal it is better i'm trying to figure out what words to say here but with that 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 brings up the idea or the reminder that there have been pandemics and mass death events that have kept the population in control Kind of a harsh way of looking at it, I realize. But that's what has happened. It, it, the bubonic plague that killed, what, 30% of Europe when it, when it happened? I mean, that's a, that's a major event. And, and technology has allowed us to avoid that for the most part and make our lives better. Responsible resource usage. Michael's preaching on tree-hugging and conversation. I'm just preaching on stewardship. There is only so much of the stuff out there. So we learn to conserve it. We learn to use different ways. Um, 
of, of, of powering things, of doing things. And no, we don't just get rid of one because this one is on paper looks better. We, we, it, you have to, we have to figure out how to steward it all. That is humanity's responsibility. But those responsible uh, stewardship of resources helps to alleviate those concerns of uh, overpopulation. And we also have to consider that we serve a sovereign God. He's in control of all that. If he, for whatever reason, needs to take out part of the population, he will do so. And all of our conversation, uh, conservation, all of our technology, all of our ways to fix things won't work, won't matter. As, as much as we have prolonged life, we hadn't figured out how to cure death. Not going to happen. And God has a time when Jesus will return. And it may be right as we're at the brink of truly overpopulating the earth, if that's something we could ever really get to. Or, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, you know they, they write science fiction books and make the movies, and, and you get the book of Eli, and you get all this other, the other things that are going on, and, and you go, ooh, that's scary, but ooh, I serve a God who's not. So I only look at what Scripture says, and Scripture says children are a blessing, a pro-life ethic says that children are wonderful, and as much as you are able, you should have them. The sanctity of children. Verses 2 through 4. Number 2, give us the sanctity of animals. Some of y'all are real excited, and you're going to be disappointed, maybe. Now, we don't often discuss animals when we talk about being pro-life. Um, and that's reasonable because I don't want somebody to take away my hamburger or my chicken tenders. I mean, I could eat chicken tenders and hamburger every other day. Just boop, 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 be perfectly fine. No issues at all. So I don't want my meat taken away from me. But a pro-life ethic toward the animal kingdom is actually in these verses. Now, after the flood, after the ark, the relationship between humans and animals has changed drastically. In Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are told to subdue and rule. Those two commands have simply become now a description of having authority over. That's a lot different you can have authority over something without the ability to subdue it or rule it. Police, for example, have authority over us. Your boss at work has or had authority over you, but they cannot rule and subdue. Eh, police can subdue you if you're doing something you shouldn't, but that's a special circumstance. It's not the same thing, and it's certainly not the same thing when we're talking about animals. And God says to Noah, to, to the family there, the fear and the terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth. It's true. Now, if, if you think about it really deeply, you're going to think of your dog. 
that just loves everybody that comes to the house. Your cat that sort of almost tolerates everybody that comes to the house. Or completely ignores them and you never see the cat. I'm told Justin and Lacey have a cat. I don't think I have ever seen your cat. Okay. Those are cats. Cats are weird. Cows. Domesticated. Horses. Domesticated. But you all know that it doesn't matter how friendly your dog, your cat, your whatever is. It gets around somebody that it doesn't like doesn't know well, maybe just doesn't, they just give off a vibe, whatever it is. They don't love everybody, probably. And just because there's an exception, that doesn't disprove the rule. That exception shows us why there's the rule. We, my dog doesn't, he, he loves everybody, okay, but that's just proof that all these don't, because you say, oh, see how different he is from all the others? Right, because this is the rule, that's the exception. That's how the exception proves the rule. Cows are domesticated. Cows are stupid. They do not respond well to people. Yep, the, the, the ones that are bottle-fed, and oh, they'll be like dogs. But again, exception that proves the rule. And then if you go out in the wild... They're scared enough of you that they'll kill you. Not cows. Well, I mean, like some of them, water buffalo, which are cow-ish, they'll kill you. Their, their, their response is to get away, but they'll fight if they have to. My point is, animals are now a danger. And the fact that we have domesticated animals shows that there had to be work involved in getting them to come to the house or to, 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 to let us around them at all. I, you know, Facebook has these reels now, and, and, and there's the TikTok, the TikTok. Yes, that's what I called it, the TikTok. And they do always the movie clips. And, and it's, it's weird that just yesterday, because I haven't been looking up cow stuff, but just yesterday... One of the clips on something was about a movie, and I cannot think of this lady's full name. Her, I think her last name is Grandine. Anybody here deal with cows? I know we have no ranchers in here, but y'all, y'all recognize, you recognize the name Grandine? She, she's got a doctorate in, in cow stuff. Lenore, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know her first name? Temple. Temple Grandine, that's right. Autistic. I mean, it's a great story. I know a little bit of it, but apparently there's a movie made about her. She wanted to do her master's thesis, according to this one little movie clip I saw on TikTok, so you know it's true. (laughs) She wanted to do her master's thesis on the mooing of cows at the feedlot. And her whole master's thesis is about how they, they, their prey animals, somebody's phone's going off, um, they, they are a, a prey animal, and they respond in certain ways, and the fact that they moo and, and run away from the, the, the guys in the feedlot when they get to a certain distance, just this one little clip, she's like, a, a prey animal shouldn't moo, shouldn't make noise and attract attention. So the mooing means something else besides I'm scared of this. She, she did this whole master's thesis, and it was about being within a, a circle of, of, of danger. 
Okay, y'all are going, so? Well, first, it's certainly a really interesting movie to watch. And second, the cows were scared of people, and she wanted to do a master's thesis on why they were. Domesticated cows. Cows that grew up around people, still scared of people. All right, have I proven the point that animals are scared of us? Yes. And other animals want to kill us? Yes. But they are now a danger after Noah, after the ark. The ark was full of animals that didn't kill Noah. Presumably animals that we would assume would want to kill Noah. They didn't. The relationship has changed. That danger, Calvin said, John Calvin said, is bridled by God. And the animals now know that humans are a danger to them. How do they know? God put it in their brains after the flood. And animals are now to be eaten. That's how the relationship has changed. Now, different scholars are going to come up come to different conclusions about whether Noah and his family and everybody else were vegetarians before the flood. Some say yes, some say no. Some say that some were and some weren't, and, and some say that uh, nobody was, but it was a, just a kind of a different situation. Um, regardless, he says, now you can eat all the animals, even though maybe they were already eating them. Or maybe they weren't being eaten at the time. They were just being domesticated because we know they were domesticated before the flood. They were being domesticated for their fur and their milk. As a matter of fact, in most cultures, the animals that are raised aren't raised to be eaten. They're raised for the things that they can supply. And if you kill them, they can't supply that stuff anymore. They get to supply meat once. They get to supply fur every year. They get to supply uh, well, wool, if they're sheep, every year, goats for uh, they get to supply milk every day it's a lifelong a lifetime commitment a life commitment to provide the meat maybe this just refers to wild herding animals i read somewhere that, that that's what this is talking about now you can go eat those wild animals that are out there the the deer and those things eh, maybe it's a word that's used or maybe there was always the opportunity to eat but there had become a ruthlessness due to the evil of the pre-flood earth. And there was animal abuse, not simply use. Lots of possibilities. Regardless, we're told to eat the animals. Yes, I get my hamburgers, my bacon cheeseburgers, and my chicken tenders. But regardless of of what was before the flood, and regardless of what led to the now-you-can-eat-animals-the-way-you've-been-eating-plants, there is a respect for the life of the animal that is commanded. I mean, look, you can eat animals, but they're going to be scared of you. So what does that mean? That means you've got to develop long-distance hunting implements. Spear, we can only throw so far, but ooh, bow and arrow, that goes farther. Ooh, gun, that goes even further. But if they see you, they're going to run. So we build tree stands. We hide from them. See, it's hard now to get that, that animal. They have a chance to escape, which is respect. Why are there so few buffalo in 
the U.S. now, bison, why are there so few of them and none in Texas? And, and, and who was I talking to recently? There were, north, there were forest buffalo in North Carolina at one time, in, in the southeast. Why are they not there anymore? Because they were easy to hunt. And idiots came out and said, well, let's kill a few hundred thousand at a time. They did, and wiped them out. That was not conservation. That was not good use. That was abuse. So we, we, they have the chance to escape. They, they, we should respect that. And as I said, domestication and animal husbandry are now actually the part of the toil of living. Now, not only do you have to plow the dirt, but you've got to go catch the cow that got out and bring it back. And you know what it's going to do when you get close? Run from you. Kick you. Now you've got to bring it back. And maybe if you figure it out, you can get a dog to help you eventually. But, yeah, that's going to be a few, few years down the road, too. You can use them. You can eat them. But there must be respect for them. And what does, how do we, because you cannot eat the lifeblood. You sh- that respect shows up in the regard for the lifeblood and not consuming it. The lifeblood There's power in the blood. There's a reason we sing that song. Obviously, it's about Jesus, but there's a double entendre there. There is power in our blood. There's life in our blood. The the early folks knew. They didn't know why. They didn't know all the mechanisms. They didn't know what it did. They knew if you took all the blood out of a person, he died. Even if there's nothing else wrong with them. And it can just be a little bitty hole, but if it gets all the blood out, you're done. Justin, he's in the media room, and anybody else in here, most scholars agree you can still have a rare steak. Not me. I'm not. You can eat your sushi if you want to. You can have all your rare stuff. You, you can even eat the raw stuff if you want to. What this actually forbids, and this is going to sound wild, y'all, it forbids eating them alive. And you think, who would do that? Well, let's go back to the TikTok for a moment. Marlon Perkins never showed us the final end of what the cheetah caught. When the cheetah chased the antelope, even the young little ones, you, you saw the cheetah get up on it and bite it and and then it was and now let's go look at the pretty birds you know and just like keep it nice but thanks to the internets we have the rest of the story we've paul harveyed this um the end of animal eating and don't go looking for it if you've got a weak stomach or you you think all animals are cutesy but nature is mean they don't care. A lion doesn't care. Uh, a crocodile, a Nile crocodile doesn't care to quickly dispatch the prey before it takes a hunk out of it. Okay? Just use your imagination and trust me on that if you don't want to go looking for it. Nature is cruel. 
What did we learn about humans? Just a, a little bit before. Even though, the end of chapter 8, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. Folks, we still see the, 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 the shows, Dateline, NBC, or whatever, about animal cruelty. People still take pleasure in torturing animals. Generally, that ends up in torturing people. It, it's something that, it's a mental thing that often grows. So it's not a big leap. Jeffrey Dahmer, does that name ring a bell? To eat live animals, to torture them. So, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't plan this service to make y'all sick this morning. I hope nobody's doing that. But we need to grasp what could have been going on pre-flood and how evil humanity is. Why God has to say, people, don't eat animals alive. You're not a snake. You realize most snakes swallow their food alive, right? You ever seen the frog try to get away? Just, the TikToks. This is actually mercy toward animals. This is actually, and there's the idea behind it of, of um, killing them uh, uh, ethically. You know, making sure they suffer as little as possible. And then draining the lifeblood. Blood must be drained before consumption. And no, you don't get all the blood out of the meat that you can't truly drain at all. Anybody who's hunted deer, you know that when you're dressing it, the, you drain the blood, but you know it's, it's still in the meat. We're, again, we're not talking about not eating rare. This is what we're talking about. Uh, one scholar wrote, animal life though given to humanity for sustenance, remained valuable in the eyes of God as a living creature and therefore merited proper care, not wanton abuse. I think that slide's on the screen. There we go. This privilege of killing animals for food assumed the responsibility of caring for animals as it was first formulated in Eden. Disregard for the gift of life was an affront to the giver of that life, for life was deemed good as a creation eat it. Eat them, but treat them well. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. There's a way to do it. Human treatment of animals is a pro-life ethic. Be pro-life about animal life, but you can still eat them, okay? Number three, the sanctity of humanity. Verses 5 and 6. This is where God says, and this is how important humans are. This is the whole uh, wrapped up in the Imago Dei, being created in the image of God. The Imago Dei requires the life of one who would take a life. And as the passage says, even if an animal takes a life, there's an Old Testament law requiring that if an ox gore someone, the ox's life should be taken. There was also a law in the Old Testament that said if the owner of that ox was negligent in allowing that ox to gore somebody, the life of the owner could be taken because he was supposed to have authority over that 
animal. So it, it is just vital that God, or vital that the people understand that human life was holy. And the Imago Dei in each human requires protection of any and all human life. So yes, we say no to abortion. No, you cannot take the innocent life growing within you. You should not take the innocent life growing within you. We say no to euthanasia. No, you don't take the life of someone deemed too much trouble or a drain on society or useless to humanity, according to some people. But there is life for life. There is the life of the guilty taken for the life of the innocent. Capital punishment. Now, capital punishment is a trigger topic. Uh, Some very strong believers think we should not have it. And some very strong believers think we should Let's begin with the fact first, though, that capital punishment, life for a life, as we see it here, was a mercy. The same way don't eat a live animal, don't abuse animals, was a mercy to the animals that are now our food. This this capital punishment, life for a life, is a mercy when compared to Lamech. It was a repudiation of Lamech in chapter 4, who said... Uh, I have killed a man who struck me. And if Cain is to be avenged seven times, if someone kills me, I am to be avenged 77 times. And God comes along in chapter 9 and says, if someone kills someone else, he is to be killed. One life for one life. Not seven lives for one life, not 77 lives for one life. Hold on there for just a second. Let's move forward a few hundred years. And Jesus, when asked the question by his disciples, if someone wrongs me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven's a good number, right? Because Cain, sorry camera people, because Cain said, because Cain was avenged seven times, so I'm being better, I'm, I'm that good, right? I'm Cain. Camera people? Jesus said, no. 70 times 7. Not not even 77. 70 times 7. Over and over and over. Why? Because who says, who is in charge of taking the life? God. And I will require a penalty. Now he goes on to say, humans are to be the instruments of that. By human, his blood will, by humans, his blood will be shed. We are the instruments of God's punishment. But it is very strict. It is very particular. This is a reversal of the idea that Lamech had that if a guy punches me, I can kill him. No. Life for a life. Punch for a punch. If he punches you, if we're taking this to its extreme, you, all you get to do is punch him back. If you hit you twice, you get to hit him twice. We're not getting all that because you're supposed to forgive him 70 times 7. See what Jesus, is do- Jesus does? He messes up our lives in a wonderful way. That's what he does. 
Now, if we're talking about capital punishment, we need to take concerns. We should have concerns and take care about implementing capital punishment. I'm a proponent of capital punishment, but I am a very hesitant proponent because, for one, a broken justice system where innocent people are convicted. Now that we have DNA analysis, hundreds of people have been removed from death row because it was proven they were innocent by DNA analysis. It's a new thing. That's why before that, you had to be extremely careful why the Bible would call for two witnesses, why we in our justice system had to have evidence upon evidence upon evidence without a reasonable, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that a person did it. And then it had to be particularly heinous to warrant the death penalty. But we also have a broken justice system, or could have a broken justice system, and have, and in many ways still do, have a broken justice system where certain people or groups or races or ethnicities are targeted. We have to be careful because of a broken justice system that favors the ability of the wealthy to hire good lawyers or bribe judges, which the Bible speaks about, against, which uh, many of, say, Amos's prophecies are, uh, are, are uh, uh, confronting, buying judges, paying for, uh, quote, justice. Where the wealthy hire good lawyers, bribe judges over against the poor. That's why we must take care as a society to constantly be reforming our justice system to make it more fair and more blind. It's also why we have degrees of murder versus manslaughter. We take self-defense into account when judging those things. We have to be extremely careful when we're dealing with someone who bears the image of God. It's why, though I am anti-abortion, I am also anti the prosecution of women who have abortions. Yes, there is a sector of society that shouts their abortions, proud of them want to go on TV talking about them and how wonderful they were and how glad they had them. I get that. It is a small percentage of a small percentage of people. And yes, I would want something to be done about them. But there is too much that goes into that horrible decision for many women. Pressure from loved ones, from the father, from family, coercion. If you don't, then I won't. If you don't, then this. If if you don't, then it's going to be worse. All that cultural lies. We have generations that have been raised to believe that it is good, acceptable, and the only way. We have too much, there is, there is too much influence to prosecute women for it. And I'm, 
in the majority, but there is a minority of folks who are against, ab- uh, against abortion that would want to prosecute women. Now, make it illegal and prosecute the providers. Absolutely. Because if you quote bad language, I guess, kill it at the source, end it at the source, then it makes it more difficult and unthinkable. Prosecute the providers, the ones actually doing the killing all day long. But there's way too much, and I can't get into all of it this morning, but uh, Will Hall, uh, who is the editor of the Louisiana Baptist paper, the Baptist, faith, uh, Baptist message, uh, gave a great defense at our last annual meeting, uh, Louisiana Baptist Convention annual meeting, of a defense of not prosecuting women. It, it, it's just, uh, it was good. I, like I said, I can't get into all that this morning, but it needs to be discussed. This is something that is out there, and you need to hear about it, and you need to hear my heart and what I believe Scripture says about it. So, the value of humans, the sanctity of humans, should affect our views on immigration, race, senior citizens, people who are mentally and physically disabled or deformed. It's how we treat them, what we do for them, how we love them, even what laws we pass about them as image bearers. Yes, a pro-life ethic affects our political response to immigration because they are bearers of the image of God. If the question has to do with someone's life, then the answer must derive from a pro-life ethic. And politically and culturally, though the term pro-life brings it to mind, abortion is a very small part, though a very important part, of this pro-life conversation. Pro-life means from the womb to the tomb, regardless of race, creed, religion, nationality, ethnicity, age, mental capacity, or physical ability, because all human lives are precious. The sanctity of humans. And finally, number four, the sanctity of life, verse 7. God repeats what he said in verse 1. Your, your word for the day is inclusio. It includes. It inc- it's an inclusion. Because he says the same thing in verse 7 that he said is in verse 1. That sets apart that paragraph as a complete thought. Everything between is included in the paragraph and this ends it. That's why it's called an inclusio. So he says the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill... Uh, and, and, and spread out over the earth, multiply on it. But he says right at the beginning, and this is what I want to focus on in the last couple of minutes, he says, but you, but you, Noah, but you, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and the wives, but you, don't eat, sure, the meat and, the, and all, but you, And this is why I think God is particularly in this passage setting up a new standard over and against what was going on before the flood. He says, but you, you, Noah and family, unlike those that would abuse my creation, abuse my animals, but you, Noah and family, unlike those that see dignity in some people, but not in other people, 
but you, right? The people I rescued, the people I saved, the people that I called out and provided a way of salvation for to be different, to be very literally set apart from everybody else. You people, some of y'all know where I'm going with this, you people, unlike those that would murder, abuse, take advantage of, mistreat, those who bear my image, you, Noah's family, spread life, be different, take care of my creation, be pro-life. And I think the message is very much the same to us today. It was to Israel at the same time. But you... Be pro-life. Share that ethic. You take care of my creation. You be different. Sure, have children. Raise them. Love them. Raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But most importantly, you spread the gospel of life. You, Noah, you have responsibilities over and against these people. What was? You, church, you have responsibilities over and above the rest of the world. You, church, be fruitful and multiply, make disciples. Because you're different, because you value children, because you value animals, because you value humanity, because you value life, you're different. And because you value life, you value the souls of other people. Created in the image of God, just as much a sinner bound for hell as you are. Oh, I don't sin like them. I don't care what you sin like, you sin. So therefore, you are bound for hell before Jesus got your heart. And our command is to be fruitful and multiply disciples. And therefore, that's our calling. And so, we see from prior to the flood, we see the brokenness, we see God fixing the brokenness, but only temporarily, because the human heart is evil. We are, we, we do, we're just bad at the root, and the only way to fix that brokenness is not through our ideas. Y'all, we can ban abortion and there could be a never, there could never be another abortion in our country, and yet every person without Jesus is still going to go to hell. Yes, we want to save babies, but we also want to save souls. And yes, we have the responsibility to love and protect. That is very scriptural. But we have a calling as a church to see people saved in Jesus' name. And we can never confuse the two. Yes, fight for the life of the unborn. Give to pregnancy centers. Volunteer. Love people who are wrestling with the decision to have an abortion. Love people 
who have made the decision to have an abortion. Because they are still image bearers of God. And they may be Jesus followers and made the worst mistake of their lives. And they need a fellow believer to walk them through this brokenness where they tried to fix their problem. They also might be someone who's never trusted Jesus. And yes, they are trying to fix this problem. They think it's a problem. And they've done it in a broken way. Y'all, that's the, the next circle. Abortion is just the result of brokenness. The uh, three-circle slide, please, Pat. Is that Pat that's up there? Yeah. It's just one more bad fix to a bad problem. The only fix to the problem is Jesus. We're still sinners, y'all. We're still going to... But the only fix of the problem is Jesus. And he does the work. He begins to change us. And he will change your view of people if you let him. Let me tell you, without a doubt, Michael of 25 years ago would not have preached this sermon. He would have found a different way to go about this. He would not have talked about the dignity of all people. Because there were some people who didn't deserve dignity in his mind. He would not have talked about pro-life for animals. It's probably what liberals do. Because you just kill them and eat them. He, he would not have talked about He'd have talked about abortion. Oh yeah, he'd have hammered that for 45 minutes. But he wouldn't have talked about everyone, even the people that we don't like, even the people that don't look like us, even the people that scare us, even the people that want to kill us, even the people that deserve the punishment of their lives being taken for taking other people's lives. Even those people bear the image of God. I was saved 25 years ago. Now, let me be a little clearer. I was saved 40 years ago. I was a saved believer 25 years ago and still would not have held to the things I said today. Jesus changes people. He fixes brokenness. And he's still fixing mine. If you let him, he will continually fix yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you continue to fix our brokenness. You set up ways, you set up ideas, you, 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 you set parameters, and you say, look, this is, these are the banks. You stay inside those banks, and, and, and you'll, I will change you. And we, we, we veer, and we swirl, and, we, and, and we're stupid, and we think we've got it and we we don't and you have it and then we want to write off your scripture where you say hard things that we don't want to do and we don't like but I don't like that person but they look different than me but they're coming from that country or this country or they have this skin color or well that's their decision that's her body that's no it is scripture and you call us to obey scripture and you call us to a pro-life ethic. Lord, may we put aside our ideas where we think we can fix the brokenness. 
and we trust you. May you, we, may you give us the strength, the, the tenacity to make those changes that we can. Yes, to protect innocent life. That is a calling. But Lord, may we never protect innocent life at the expense of our witness or with the idea that those taking innocent life are somehow created less than the image of God. Oh, it's so hard. You did not make this easy on us. You never said it would be, but you said by your strength, by your power, by the Holy Spirit that's in us, you will guide, you will lead, you will correct. Lord, we pray for that this morning. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, They've tried all these broken ways to fix their lives. I pray today they will come to a saving knowledge, put their faith in Christ, repent of their sins. Lord, if there is someone here this morning, since it is the, the topic, the big idea, the big topic anyway in the culture, if there's somebody that's had an abortion, Lord, I pray that you would wrap your loving arms around them, that they would feel your grace and your mercy and your love and not equally as important, but still important, they would feel our mercy and grace and love. And Lord, may we walk through, them, walk through this with them. There's a lot here, God. There's, there's so many things. I'm just going to put it in your hands and say, Lord, lead us. In this time of worship that we have, these last few minutes, lead us. Correct us. Guide us. Save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is your time of decision. Maybe you want to take up your cross, follow him. You'd like prayer. You'd like more information about how you can be saved. You'd like to discuss that. You just want to tell people, I'm trusting Jesus today. Come down. I'll be at the front. Chelsea will be at the front. Three of our men will be in the back. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe it's some other decision you need to make, something you need to talk to the Lord about this morning. Maybe you do want to share with us that decision, but you don't want to come down front. You want to message us online. You want to use a connection card, whatever it is. This is also a good time for you to worship in giving as we sing with the, with the QR code that's in the bulletin or on the screen, or you can use the offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary or in the foyer. This is our time, one more time, to heal brokenness. Because no matter how broken you think you are, and you probably are that broken, and no matter how broken you think somebody else is, and they probably are that broken, God loves you, and God loves them, and therefore, as a follower of Jesus, I love you, I love them, and everyone else in here as a follower of Jesus should as well. Let's stand, let's worship, let's, God, let's let God work on our hearts this morning.